Hi, I'm Zakia Elias and this is Representation Matters, a conversation around equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace podcast series by The Equal Group, bringing you stories, insights and learnings around optimising equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Welcome to today's episode where I'm joined by Claude Williams, who is an award-winning entrepreneur, executive coach, board member and public speaker. Claude is the founder of Dream Nation, the personal development startup company fit for the 21st century, which has had a huge impact on the lives of thousands of young adults all over the UK. As a strong advocate for neurodiversity and mental health, Claude is also a board member of the NHS and ambassador for the British Dyslexia Association. I was able to catch up with Claude to find out more about his experiences and thoughts on how employers can support neurodiversity in the workplace. Let's take a listen to the conversation, which began with me asking, who is Claude Williams? So who is Claude Williams? Um, I think the introduction you gave me pretty much covered a lot of uh, my titles, I'd probably say. Um, but I guess who am I? I guess on a more philosophical level, um, I'm just somebody that just wants to see the world become a better place ultimately. Um, I'm really driven by the idea of seeing people reach their full potential as a whole. And pretty much every step of my journey, whenever I am engaged in activities that help people reach their potential, that's when I feel like I'm really fulfilling my purpose, ultimately. Um, And yeah, that tends to be, as of now, being through entrepreneurship in one form or another. That's great. And, you know, I do understand that it is always a bit difficult to have to reflect on and, you know, describe yourself on the spot like that. So thank you so much. Um, And so jumping straight onto the first question I have for you then, Claude. I know that you've had quite the career journey as an entrepreneur because, correct me if I'm wrong, but you started setting up your own businesses from a very young age, I think um, around 17. And so did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Because I know that back when I was at school, I wouldn't have had a clue about what an entrepreneur was or what they did. Um, Okay, definitely not. I did not always want to be an entrepreneur. Um, My earliest memory of a potential career path was to be a scientist, actually. Um, And so love science um, of all types and after that I then began to fall in love with computers uh, that was actually a response to my dyslexia I realized mm. that uh, when I use computers and technology it actually solved a lot of the issues that I struggled with so things right. around being organized or being able to communicate uh, clearly so then after that, I went to become like an IT technician uh then later when I went to become a basketball coach it was actually um it was actually the basketball coach and that led me into um entrepreneurship so what happened was um when I was about 17 years old um I ended up with a pretty bad injury which stopped me from being able to play mm. um and because I couldn't play um and during some holidays you get really bored because uh, you can only play playstation for so long I guess <laughs> and um <laughs> so I decided to still just go down to the basketball courts and hang out with all my friends um and then yeah we would constantly be having the same debate about who the best player was and things of that nature so at some point I thought you know what why not just organize a tournament to find out who the best player actually is so we can put an end to the debate um I charged people a few pounds to be able to take part in it and that was just to cover the expenses like getting mm. the gym and like, putting together like some money for a prize and um yeah just kind of took it from there and it was only later that my older sister when I was telling her about it was like Claude you know you just set up a you set up a business just then um and then she was like, you should really start thinking about entrepreneurship as a career path. Uh, and then she gave me Richard's book uh, that was brand new at the time called Losing My Virginity. And um, 
yeah, reading through that book, I was like, yeah, this entrepreneurship lifestyle is something that I definitely want to do. And uh, I haven't looked back since then. Oh, wow. So you've definitely had quite the career journey. Um, and you also touched on your dyslexia, which is something that I do want to discuss with you later on in the podcast as well. Um, but I'm sure that your career journey resonates with a lot of people in the sense that, you know, there isn't a set path and you don't always have to have an idea of what you want to do immediately. Um, and so I guess that all of your experiences have really helped build you into the person that you are today. And, you know, that person is the founder of Dream Nation. So can you tell us a bit more about Dream Nation and what really inspired you to create this business? Let me start with what inspired me to create it. So what I didn't, what I didn't go into, although my first business was organizing those sports tournaments and the later training camps, um, I definitely went on to set up a number of businesses between those mm. two points. Um, so Dream Nation is about the sixth or seventh business slash projects that I've uh, created over the years. Um, but the reason why Dream Nation was special to me is because during the company I was running previously, which was a creative and marketing agency, um, we were doing really well, like winning awards, getting some big clients and things of that nature. But I found that I was really uninspired by the work I was doing, um, waking up and going to the office and things of that nature, like I just didn't care. And I realized that I had kind of lost um, the connection with my what I thought was my purpose, which is helping people reach their potential. So I took a bit of a um, I took a bit of like a some time off to do some soul searching. And yeah, like I studied people such as Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and other people who in history have done like some really amazing things and used their gifts and their talents to mm. leave the world better than how they found it ultimately. And I decided that I would love to have maybe not a legacy as big as that, but still have my own, I guess, impact on the world of making it a better place. And that is what ultimately led, led, led me to thinking about what do I want to, what is the contribution I want to make? And then, then from that came Dream Nation. So that's oh. the motivation in terms of uh, what do we do? So I guess one thing was uh, com like from my story, at least, and I think this can be common for quite a few entrepreneurs is that, I didn't really start with a proper plan, if I'm being completely honest with you. Uh, all I knew was that I cared about personal development. Um, I cared about helping people to grow. Um, and I wanted to find a way to make that happen. So I initially launched with a conference, um, which went pretty well. Um, and we did that uh, every year from 2013 onwards. Um, we did take a bit of a break in 2017. And then we went, we were launching last year again, but then yeah. of course COVID hit. So yeah. that messed everything up. Um, so yeah, we did conferences and then we realized that people love those events. But the what they found was that the audience we were attracting were some really amazing people but they were not having enough time to interact with each other because it was more focused on what was being said on stage. So we then created a, um, a networking gala, um, which was focused purely on networking and the community connected with each other. So that became like our second big staple event. And then on top of that, we then realized that we had so much kind of creative talent in our community and around the team as well. So we then built a creative showcase to kind of complement those three big events at the time. Um, and then what, then happened after that is we began to realize that okay these lifestyle events are amazing for building a community and even getting information across but it wasn't it wasn't the best way for people to learn so then we started to develop workshops and coaching programs and things of that nature and we did that for a number of years and we're still still doing that even to this day um, however what we then started to realize through the work we were doing is that there were lots of problems that were quite universal between people um, and so now it's kind of taking us into the next phase of the company where we're looking at, okay, how can we use technology to begin to solve some of those problems? 
So um, about a year, about two years ago, we took like a big shift to like really become a lot more data driven and data informed. So yeah, like, and because we've now got two years worth of like really valuable data, we're now using that to develop new products. Um, I can't say too much about those just yet, but um, I'm going to say that the future of this company very much so lies in technology. Right. And so in a sense, Dream Nation is like a platform to help support people with their personal development. Um, And what you said about Dream Nation being very data driven, too, I think that's really interesting and definitely something unique that makes your company stand out. So um, I am very excited to see where that takes you guys in the future. Um, And so obviously you do have a vast amount of experience within the entrepreneurship industry, and I'm sure you've learned a number of personal and professional lessons throughout your journey so far. So I'm curious to know if you had to choose one important experience um, or one lesson that's really changed your perspective um, on things, you know, what would that be? Oh, I'm going to go, there's so many, so many firstly, but what I'm going to go with is um, one, something that I was reflecting on yesterday, and it's um, something that Steve Jobs said. Uh, which is you can only really connect the dots backwards. Um, so yeah, often when we're doing work, going through our lives, like whether that's our careers, our businesses, family life, relationships, whatever it might be, um, it's easy when you're successful um, at the end to kind of say, this was my amazing story and all these things were perfectly planned out and I had a master plan from the beginning. And even when we hear many successful people um, share their stories, that's how it will sound. But in reality, it's very easy to kind of look backwards and connect up the dots to make it look perfect. So then what you can kind of take from that is in the moment, you might not know what you're doing. Um, it might You might be confused and it might just feel like you're, what you're doing is a mess. But I guess ultimately, as long as you give yourself a North Star to head towards and you keep taking practical steps and putting in your best effort, then you will eventually get to where it is that you want to go to. Um, I guess it also follows on to another one of my favorite quotes, uh, which is to always be stubborn about your destination, but flexible about your route. So yeah, as long as you give yourself that direction to head in, then yeah, ultimately how you get there doesn't matter, but just keep on, keep on making the adjustments, keep on learning from your mistakes and keep moving forward. Yeah. I think those are both brilliant quotes and you know, what you said really makes me think as well. So you're an entrepreneur and I'm sure you've faced quote unquote failure. Um, but that is something that I know a lot of people are afraid of. Um, it even took me a really long time to really understand and realize that something isn't necessarily a failure, but more so something that I can learn from instead. Um, and so what kind of advice would you give to people who still have that mindset of seeing something as a failure um, as opposed to an opportunity to learn from it? Yeah, no, it's very common, especially here in the UK, because um, I think our culture has quite a uh, quite demonized view of failure. Um, and I think ultimately that holds us back because if we can't fail, then it makes innovation close to impossible um, because it means that we're always going to do um, the things that have been done before. So I guess one thing that's been helpful to me changing my mindset um, towards it. So as you said, taking the idea on that, you can learn a lesson, like failures are not failures, they are lessons to be learned. Um, and I guess one of the things I remember reading a book by um, one of my favorite authors, Seth Godin, years ago. And um, one of the one of the things he stood, said that really stood out to me was that if you haven't failed recently, as in within the last week or so, that's when you should be worried because it means that you are sticking completely within your comfort zone. Yeah. Because you can only ever fail when you're trying something new, something that you're not used to, something that you're uncomfortable with. Um, I guess to make that a little bit more. 
uh, visual for people is that um yeah you're you, if if i asked you to stand up right now and walk to your door the chances of you messing up are going to be extremely low because it's well within your comfort zone but if i asked you to do a cartwheel or backflip from your seat to the door you're probably going to not possible <laughs> exactly yeah. um but and it's like although yes you might must fail at doing so really what you're doing is you're pushing yourself to try something new and it's like if we always stay within our comfort zones then honestly that's where that means you're dying in one sense like because I always think of the comfort zone as being the place where greatness goes to die basically if you're in your comfort zone for too long if you haven't failed um, anything recently then you should be worried because somebody else is going to be out there out out innovating you trying something new pushing themselves and growing yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying there, Claude. Comfort is definitely something very dangerous and that, you know, prevents people from essentially growing and improving. Um, so, you know, so far we have talked about your professional journey, but I also want to touch on your personal journey too. So you are an ambassador for the British Dyslexia Association. Um, so if you don't mind, could you share a bit more about what it was like growing up with a learning disability and, you know, how has it and how does it still affect you today? Yeah, so it's only kind of as I've gone older where I can reflect back and see where things might have been different for me to mm. other people because at the time it was just this was just the reality, this was just life. Um, so I remember talking to a friend about a story from my primary school. Um, and yeah, we were, we were sitting down in class and we were just taking down notes, dictating from what the teacher was saying, essentially. And um, I remember the one of the one of my classmates he was like a little bit behind in terms of what the teacher was saying so he then tried to look over at my notes to kind of see what see what I was writing yeah. to catch up and then he looked at me and was just like Claude like none of this makes any sense at all um and I remember being like I was embarrassed uh but I said I get the time at the at the time I just made the quick excuse of oh you know what I just write in code so nobody else can copy mm. my work ultimately but it really was my best attempt at, um, at writing English, in all honesty. And like, as a child, like I said, I just kind of got on with it and moved forward. But I realized that just those kind of micro experiences that were quite common, like you'd have stuff like that all the time, mm-hmm. um, they can actually be quite traumatic, to, especially to a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember having English classes um, and English tests rather. And we would be doing tests with like words that are only three and four letters long. And I'd be coming out with like one or two marks out of 10. It's just like, that can be really frustrating. Um, especially when you know that you do have the ability. Yeah. Like if you had a conversation with me, um, then I can answer your questions. Like I was one of the best in the class at science if we had a conversation about what the lessons were that were being taught. But then if you asked me to translate that into like a written exam, I would come out as one of the worst in the class. Um, and I guess it really taught me at a very young age that you do also, I have to basically always think about charting out my own pathway in life because if I kind of stick to the pathways that everybody else does then I'm going to fail regardless of my ability um, and it was only like much 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 later in life where we where I heard the expression which is often um, accredited to Albert Einstein which is if you ask a fish to uh, climb a tree, then it's going to live its life being like an idiot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's as simple, simple as that. It's like, if you focus on things that you're not good at and you only stick with an environment where you are at a disadvantage, then you are going to always feel um, behind or inferior or it will impact your com- or confidence in terms of what you go on to achieve. But if you do instead, like also look at what your strengths are and really dive into those, Um, then you can really excel in different areas of life so yeah that was pretty much sums up most of my experience with uh, dyslexia growing up Um, and now 
I kind of have learned, okay, there's certain things I'm not good at. Um, so I'm crap at admin emails, simple as. Uh, and so as a result, I get someone else to help me with that. So I hire the PA so that she can handle that side of things for me. Um, but if it comes to ideas and innovations and things about nature, creativity, that's something I excel in. So then I try to spend more of my time doing the things I'm great at and the areas that I'm not strong at. That's where I then will work with other people who that might be their strength and then take things from there. Yeah, definitely. You know, seeing it as a strength rather than a disadvantage is great advice and something that I think will bring a lot of comfort to many people who are listening um, and also what you said about the school system is definitely true. Um, you know, reflecting on my own experiences, I agree that, you know, the school system is designed to get young people through just to the next stage, either by simply, you know, memorizing information and, you know, just churning out facts. But, you know, it doesn't really encourage young people to think about their other abilities and creative strengths. So definitely um, that is something that does need to be addressed. Um, and so to continue the discussion on learning disabilities, um, I know that in the workplace, many people feel quite uncomfortable bringing up their dyslexia because, of course, it is something that should be dealt with sensitively. And so I'm curious to know, Claude, what are your thoughts on that? You know, what advice would you give or what approach would you take? Um, OK, so my advice is, first and foremost, if you can try and find a work environment which actually does um, appreciate things like neurodiversity, whether that is dyslexia or ADHD or autism or things of that nature. Um, because, yeah, like it, the reality is, is that you will have some strengths, but you will also have some weaknesses. And if you're in an environment which is not tolerant of it, but actually accepting of it and empowering, then you can find that it can be a place where you can really excel. Um, I guess as well, as I've gotten older and more confident in kind of my stance and things, um, one thing which I do insist on um, pretty much, and no, no matter what working environment is, is I'm actually including in my signature about my my email signature that is um, about my dyslexia. Mm. So every email you receive from me will just have to the bottom, excuse me, typos, um, I'm dyslexically dyslexic, essentially. Yeah. And it's just like it takes so much pressure off me in a sense of because I'm the chances are I am going to make a typo sooner or later in a in an email, no matter how many times I proofread it or anything of that nature. But now that I've kind of already, I've explained it, it doesn't matter who I'm emailing, it could be a colleague or it could be a director of another company or whatever it might be, because it's just out there and I've already explained it, I've already, it makes me just feel, I guess, much more confident and, comf and comfortable in my yeah. working environment. So, yeah, but I would say if even from the very get go in terms of the, the application stage for your roles, try and find companies that this is something that matters to them. Um, and that might be difficult to find out initially, but I think it's worth the effort to try and see if you can get that insight um, into the company in the first place. Brilliant. That's great advice. Um, and, you know, the confidence that you do now have in your disability is, of course, something that many people continue to struggle with. So would you say that you are more confident in your dyslexia now because of the support that you've had, you know, from your family, from your friends, etc., cetera, um, that have helped you overcome the challenges that you faced? I'm going to say yes. Uh, I've been very blessed in the support systems that I've had. Yeah. So while I was at school, um, yeah, I did always, I've always had great teachers, um, like support teachers specifically that have helped with these areas. And I guess seeing how I was able to progress and grow, um, seeing that I'd like once I just kind of focused on my own development in my own time, um, that was really important to me to help build up my confidence at that stage. Um, I would say also another area that has helped give me confidence across the board is giving myself wins in other areas. Um, I will often say that confidence is, is almost a momentum game. 
And if you can start off with like some small wins here, there, and just keep building, then your confidence will continue to grow. So, because if you're in an environment where all you ever are, are doing is failing, then yeah, that you will, that will like reduce your confidence in yourself. But if you give yourself a chance to experience what success feels like, um, and whether that might be, that could be an academic sense, it could be in a workplace, it could be in sports, yeah. it could be something unrelated. Um, but having that sense of momentum growing, then that will, that will really help you across the board. Mm. And I guess lastly, like confidence specifically for dyslexia is just really taking the time to understand who you are as a person um and then once you are able to understand who you are you're able to accept yourself um and even love yourself like the good the bad your strengths your weaknesses like this is just who you are um then I think that as a whole will be a huge factor in helping you to have confidence in not just your neurodiversity but in all areas of your life that's great and yeah it really is you know about taking those small steps to really understand yourself as a person both strengths and areas of development um, and so, you know, I'm sure there is no lack of neurodiverse talent out there in the world. So what I want to ask you, Claude, is what systems do you think then employers need to have in place to not only attract, but um, accommodate this kind of talent to ensure that dyslexic workers are working in an inclusive environment that will essentially enable them to reach their full potential? Okay, um, I would say probably one of the first things that will be really helpful is having uh, internal networks as well as external networks in all honesty. So creating an environment like I mentioned before where your differences are celebrated, um, and whether that's neurodiversity, race, gender, sexuality, um, like workplaces that embrace those different networks um not just in terms of like okay just put them off in the corner and let them kind of do something for themselves but mm. actually make it something that the company culture celebrates um i find that they tend to really excel um i would say also having open conversations um about things like this like allowing managers to be able to uh have these conversations with their employees and allow empl employees to feel comfortable to have those conversations with their managers um, where yeah like once again their strengths and their weaknesses are understood um, and as a result like reasonable adjustments can be made to really get the best out of their employees um, I think that's really important um, I've been when I advise companies around this one of the things that I do I heavily like um, lean towards as coaching um, of course I'm going to be biased I am a I am a coach myself so yeah. it's something I'm always going to push for but even if people were not working with me I will say the idea of like creating a culture and culture within your workplace is a really powerful thing um, and it's one of those things where it's like um, where you make these adjustments not just for people with neurodiversity but for all employees then yeah. everybody will excel and you'll often find that that's the case like when you make these adjustments for uh, a set of employees, once again, it doesn't matter what their the differences and the characteristics, you'll find that it just creates a culture where everybody in the team will benefit. And as a result, your company will perform at a higher level. So those would be some of the systems that I would say that all companies can kind of take on board and really think about implementing to improve their workplace. I think that's wonderful advice. So thank you so much for that, Claude. Um, and so we are reaching near the end of the podcast now, but before coming to a close, I do have some final questions for you. Um, well, actually, you know, I was going to ask you what's next on the agenda for Dream Nation, but you hinted earlier at the direction that the organization is heading. So we won't give any more spoilers and reveal anything else for that. Um, instead then, um, I'll ask you, you know, what message or, you know, what lesson would you like listeners to take away from today's conversation? Okay, so what lesson would I like people to take away from today's uh, conversation? Um, I guess it's just the real power of um, 
of understanding people's individual strengths and weaknesses and I guess learning to embrace the differences between us um, whether that is due to our neurodiversities or whether that is just strengths and weaknesses or differences and passions um, I guess for me what has been probably the most powerful thing is taking the time to really understand who I am mm. um, and having that patience with myself uh, as well as empathy um, and then also allowing that same uh, mentality to go elsewhere in my life. Um, I guess taking the time to really understand my clients um, and having empathy for them and also just looking at who they are as individuals. That's been a big reason why Dream Nation has been successful. And I think taking that mindset, whether you're a leader, whether you're a manager, um, or whether you're just how you relate to your colleagues in the workplace, that will ultimately mean that we all can create an environment where we can where we can thrive and we can enjoy the work that we're doing and as a result produce the best the best for work possible. Brilliant. And you know what a great message. I'm sure listeners will have a lot to take away from today's conversation. Um, you know, well, that is it for today's episode. So thank you so much, Claude. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And I really appreciate you taking the time out to share your experiences and knowledge with us. So once again, thank you so much. And I wish you all the best for the future. My pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Thanks so much for listening today. Wherever you're tuning in from, we'd love to hear from you. What were your learnings from today's conversation? Is there anything you'd like to add? Let us know using the hashtag TEG podcast on Twitter, or you can reach out to us anytime via contact at theequalgroup.com. And in the meantime, head on over to our website, theequalgroup.com, for more insights and articles around equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Why not join our mailing list to be the first to get updates on all the latest EDI news, as well as our free monthly EDI training webinars. And finally, to stay tuned for more podcast interviews coming up soon, make sure you are following us at The Equal Group on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, everyone.